I believe there's a lot of value in looking back at medical history. I mean, I think if we can look back and see where we've been, it helps us plan our course forward and helps us see clearer where we're going. The first reported case of the abnormally adherent placenta was in 1927 by Forster. Forster worked in the pathology department at Montreal General Hospital in Canada. Now, this case, for which a hysterectomy had to be performed, was the only one recorded out of 8,000 deliveries over a six-year survey period at Montreal General Hospital. That one case in 8,000 gave an overall rate of 0.013%. Then came the reports by Irving and Herdig, who actually stated that the prevalence for that time was around 1 in 2,000, giving an overall rate of an abnormally adherent placenta of about 0.12%. Well, that 1 in 2,000 was in 1937, but in 2016, the latest report put the estimate at 1 in 272, What happened? I mean, how do we go from 1 in 2,000 to 1 in 272? Well, in this episode, we're going to tackle this beast of placenta accreta spectrum disorder because it is winnable, but it takes a team effort. And the number one way that we win this fight is with education. It's about being prepared and about risk stratification. It's also about knowing what to look for at ultrasound. And it also has to do with knowing when to refer patients to placenta accreta spectrum centers. We're going to get into all of this because this is right off the heels of an ACOG webinar that just came out in December 2022. So let's tackle placenta accreta spectrum disorder, how to win this battle. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm going to give you the three main sources of info that this episode is based on in addition to the December 2nd, 2022 ACOG webinar that comes out of Texas. That's District 11. That's my district. But I want you to remember these three sources of info because they're great for quick resources. If you need to find something quickly, if you're preparing for a placenta accreta patient, these are great sources of information. The first one is the obstetric care consensus from the college, appropriately titled Placenta Accreta Spectrum, that comes from December 2018. The second document is from SMFM, and it has to do with the task force on ultrasound markers that came from January of 2022, just one year ago. The third source comes from the National Accreta Foundation. You can find them online at www.preventacreta.org. It's a wonderful site with a lot of helpful information with articles, media resources, and a lot of other things that are available, not just for providers, but even for patients. So those are our three main sources of info. 
If somebody ever asks you, why is it called a spectrum? I mean, wasn't it just placenta accreta at one point? And it was. But nothing is that clean and dry. I mean, the line between an accreta and an increta, and between an increta and a percreta, is kind of tough to figure out and to part them, especially with an ultrasound or even MRI. That's why it's a spectrum. Placenta accreta spectrum, formerly known as the morbidly adherent placenta, really is a range of pathological attachment or adherence of the placenta to the myometrium. This can range from just attachment at the surface, called placenta accreta or an invasive placenta. Of course, placenta increta is up to about 50% of the myometrium, and then placenta percreta, which is more than 50%, or all the way through the myometrium. The most favored hypothesis regarding the cause of placenta accreta spectrum is that there's a defect somewhere in this endometrial-myometrial interface that leads a failure of normal decidualization in the area of a uterine scar or otherwise some other uterine trauma. This allows an abnormally deep placental anchoring of the villi and trophoblastic infiltration. Now, here's something that we didn't know historically. I mean, we always thought that this was something that you could screen for in the second or the third trimester. But as we'll cover in just a minute, there's actually some pretty impressive markers already in the first trimester based on ultrasound. Now, the first trimester is probably not the ideal time to screen for this, but you actually can screen for it nonetheless in the first trimester. And of course, second and third trimester increases your specificity for it. But don't forget that there are some markers even as early as the first trimester. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, this whole thing about ultrasound in the first trimester, yes, it's hard to do. Yes, you have to know what you're looking for. It's, it's, it's kind of tricky. But look how much information moves. Look how fast it moves. I mean, historically, right, you had to wait for the third, as we said. But now we know that there are some signs in the first trimester that actually do pan out. That's how medicine just keeps changing. For example, we've added a recent risk factor for this spectrum. Everybody gets previa. Everybody gets number of C-sections. We're going to talk about risk factors in a minute. But IVF? Yeah, IVF is a thing. And it was actually always known really in the late 2010s or so, 2010s. Uh, but really, it wasn't until 2020 with a new publication that actually solidified IVF, in vitro fertilization, a specific kind of IVF, as a risk factor for placenta accreta spectrum. We're going to get into that as well. So lots to cover. We're just trying to uh, give a little bit of an outline of where we're going in this episode. Texas takes a lot of heat in the news for a lot of different reasons. I get that. Nonetheless, I still love my state. But one of the things that Texas did do right is really help establish these different levels of maternity care. Uh, and that's great. That's now a nationwide thing and an ACOG-endorsed uh, classification for healthcare facilities, right? I mean, the maternal levels of care, right? Level one is basic care. Level two is semi-specialized. Three is specialized. Four is high-level specialized or referral centers. And they really are meant to identify which hospitals have capabilities to do what. In other words, it, it's basically stay in your lane, know your limitations, and know when to refer. And that's a good thing. And Texas helped create 
create these maternal levels of care. Through the Texas House Bill number 1164, Texas has now stated that whether a facility is level one or level four, they have to be aware of placenta accreta spectrum, at least risk stratify patients to better identify who's at risk and get patients where they need to be if they're not at a center of excellence or a specific placenta accreta spectrum center. We're going to talk about what that means in just a minute. Well, that's an idea that ACOG from the national level has said, yeah, I think every state should do that. I mean, don't leave that to your level three and level four maternity centers all hospitals, all maternal units, if they have a level one designation, they still need to be aware of placenta accreta spectrum, at least how to risk stratify patients, how to identify who's at risk, and then who to appropriately refer when necessary. So this is not a Texas thing. This is a national move, of course, from the college, because placenta accreta spectrum, as we've already stated, is now in one in 272 pregnancies. And that was in 2016, with the idea that it may be a little bit even higher now. But again, if you track these numbers, look how it's changed. We mentioned the one in 2000 historically, but in the 1980s, it was one in 1250. And there's been that progressive increase in incidence till the last reported data collection at 2016, which put it at one in 272 pregnancies. That's a lot. That number comes from the data collected from the National Accreta Foundation. Well, what's driving up this rate? Well, you know it as well as I do. It's the increased rate of sections that happened in the late 90s, 2000s, 2010s. Well, it's now caught up. Remember that as the uterus heals, that scar is actually a risk factor for abnormal placentation. And not just for abnormal placentation like a previa, which is another risk factor, but for abnormal attachment. So the number one risk factor for placenta accreta is number of cesarean section. Number two is a placenta previa. But there's other things that increase the risk of placenta accreta spectrum. One is if they've had it before, what can happen again? History of myomectomy, a DNC, endometrial ablation, uterine anomalies, advanced to maternal age, and as we said a little bit earlier in the episode, IVF. Yeah, IVF is a risk factor alone as an independent variable for placenta accreta spectrum. We have to explain the risk based on C-section because it really is scary. When you combine C-section and placenta previa, look how these two things are additive based on number of section, okay? It's scary. And this comes out of the Green Journal back in 2006 from the pillars of of MFM. I mean, we've got Silver, uh, uh, Dr. Rouse, we've got Dr. Lavino, Catherine Spong. And this was a big publication out of the maternal fetal medicine units that actually gave the risk of placenta accreta if there's a placenta previa based on number of C-sections. So listen to this, right? So you do marry placenta previa with number of C-section, here's what you get. At the time of the first C-section, it's 3%. All right, I mean, it's not bad, right? It's a first C-section, 3% is not zero, but it is still 3% because that lower uterine segment is not supposed to have a placenta attached. Remember, it's supposed to be either anterior or fundal or posterior where there's good myometrial tissue, but not really meant to have a placenta previa. That's why placenta previa by itself is a risk factor for PAS. So at time of first C-section with a previa, it's 3% chance of abnormal attachment. Then at time of second C-section, if a previa is there, it's 11%. With the third C-section with a previa, 40%. But wait, there's more. 
at the fourth C-section, 61%. And at the fifth C-section, if there's a placenta previa, it's 67% chance, a placenta accreta. Is that horrifying or what? 67%. So remember, as a clinical pearl, the number one risk factor is number of C-section. The second risk factor is previa. And then come all the other things that we talked about, and that includes IVF. Well, talking about IVF, let's just tackle this right now because that's the new kid on the block in terms of risk factors. In AJOG, that's the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Gray Journal, in October of 2020, Salmonin et al. published data that revealed IVF is, in fact, an independent risk factor for placenta accreta spectrum. But its true pathophysiology of why that's the case is still unclear. This was a retrospective data analysis that spanned from 2012 to 2019. Now, prior to this, several studies did suggest that IVF, and in particular cryopreserved embryo transfer, may be an increased risk factor for PAS, that's placenta creatum spectrum. Using multivariate logistic regression, these authors did show that IVF, again, particularly with cryopreserved embryo transfer, was a risk factor for PAS with an adjusted odds ratio of 8.7. And the confidence interval spanned from 3.8 up to 20.3. And this persisted even when adjusting for number of C-sections and placenta previa. Now, as a little aside, isn't that crazy? I mean, infertility was always like one house, right? That was one camp. You had infertility, and then once they got pregnant, you just kind of put them on their way and shoo-shoo, go on your way. But, you know, things that happen in the gynecology world pop up in the obstetrics world. Infertility from the gin realm through IVF makes its way into obstetrics. That's also true for endometriosis, right? We thought that was a, a gynecological thing. And, oh, when you get pregnant, that you know, you're auto-treating because of the high sustained estrogen progestin levels, and you going to get better. But we know that that's not true. Endometriosis has adverse pregnancy outcomes as well, namely preeclampsia, higher risk of gestational diabetes, and even preterm labor. So things that happen in gynecology isn't like Vegas. It doesn't stay in Vegas. <laughs> it doesn't stay in the gynecology house. They make their way into obstetrics. And that's exactly the case with IVF. Oh, by the way, my team hates it when I ad lib stuff and I just go rogue off the script because they say that my analogies don't make any sense. That made sense, right? That makes sense to me. I mean, right? What stays in Vegas stays in, how is it? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. All right, I, let's go back to the show. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
We've already mentioned the severe morbidity that happens with this condition at birth. Most women have an average blood loss with this condition, anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 mLs, with 90% of patients with this getting a blood transfusion. And of those, 40% will have greater than 10 units of packed red blood cells. And it's not just the bleeding that leads to the morbidity. 60% of placenta accreta spectrum patients have some other severe maternal morbidity from infectious complications to DVT to ICU stays. I mean, this is just a big ball of complication. That's why identifying these patients early is one of the ways that we win against this beast. You see, this is why identifying and risk stratifying these patients is so important. I mean, it's in ACOG's obstetric care consensus document from 2018, which is the care consensus number seven, that, quote, women with suspected placenta accreta spectrum in the antepartum period based on imaging and clinical acumen should be delivered in a level three or level four maternal center. And the optimal management should include a standardized approach with a comprehensive multidisciplinary care team. That's how we win this. Notice in this 1B strong recommendation from the college that women with suspected PAS based on, quote, imaging and clinical acumen, end quote, again, should be delivered ideally in a level three or level four center. We're going to address those levels of care in just a minute, but I want to now touch on this imaging diagnostic feature because there are some different markers that especially combined together increases not just the sensitivity, but of course the specificity of having an accreta spectrum issue in a patient. Remember, this is the second source of information that we're using for this episode. That's SMFM's special report for the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine Placenta Accreta Spectrum Ultrasound Marker Task Force from January 2022. Let's just summarize some key points here because if we realize that there really is some things that we can identify in ultrasound to better risk stratify, then we can find these things if the patients present themselves even in the first trimester. In this document, SMFM reminds us that the prenatal detection and risk stratification for PAS are primarily made by ultrasound, not CT, not MRI, ultrasound. But let's be real, ultrasound is very operator dependent. And in order to make this PAS identification and and diagnosis, it takes time. You got to know what you're looking for. Plus, some of the things can be hindered based on patient BMI or or shadowing or whatever else can be going on with a patient factor that prevents it from getting a good image. And remember, while transabdominal is okay as a first survey, this really should be done with transvaginal ultrasound. That's the best way. Plus Doppler, those two things, transvaginal ultrasound and pulsed Doppler, really do help make this, this diagnosis a lot easier. Before I go over some of the key ultrasound markers here, I do want to clarify something. Even though this is an SMFM document, it's not just the opinion of SMFM. And I love what they did here with this task force. I mean, they asked for experts in a variety of organizations to contribute to this this guidance. That's why it's so good. I mean, they came from SMFM, of course, from the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine, or AIUM, from ACOG, from the American College of Radiology, and even ARDMS. That's the American Registry for Diagnostic Medical Sonography. 
in this document, they concentrate per trimester on some key findings. And remember, it's not just second or third trimester, but it includes, as we mentioned before, even in the first trimester. I mean, there's things that can give it away as soft markers that kind of raise the flag here. In the first trimester, for example, a low implanted gestational sac, especially in the history of a previous cesarean section, actually raises the risk of placenta accreta spectrum later on in pregnancy. Other classic ultrasound markers include the presence of placental lacunae, loss of the retroplacental hypoechoic zone, thinning of the retroplacental myometrum, typically less than one millimeter, hypervascularity of the uterovesicle or the retroplacental space, and placental bridging vessels. Those are the big markers here. And remember, if you have a combination of those, then that increases the specificity for this diagnosis. In this document, SMFM does endorse two key factors here that are pivotal to get PAS as a diagnosis correct. That's transvaginal ultrasound and the use of color Doppler. Quote, TV ultrasound is strongly recommended for the assessment of PAS. Transvaginal imaging optimizes resolution and allows for a detailed assessment of the low uterine segment, the posterior bladder wall, and the cervix. Color Doppler should be utilized to assess for vascularity and placental extension into the uterine wall and the surrounding structures, end quote. Now that we've covered ultrasound, let's talk about screening patients in triage, when to start and what are we asking and what are we looking for and what to do if they screen positive, and then more importantly, what to do at time of C-section if we encounter the unanticipated placenta accretum spectrum patient. ACOG states that it's important to screen all triage patients who present greater than 20 weeks to labor and delivery. And screening can be from either a variety of questions and or ultrasound, especially when they have risk factors like IVF and a history of multiple cesarean sections. For the ultrasound review, especially at a level one maternal health center, this isn't a complicated advanced ultrasound, right? You don't have to do the color Doppler. We're not measuring the lacunae. We're not looking for depth of penetration you're really looking for just placental location. I mean, and if a patient is a previa and has a history of a C-section and IVF, and you identify that on ultrasound, then that's a screen positive. And here, of course, the guidelines become very loose because it depends on the patient's level of acuity. If the patient obviously is bleeding and is unstable, and you're at a facility level one, then you'd have to try to get that patient to a level three or ideally a level four. And the best is a placenta accreta specialty center. But not all level fours are. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Remember that there's four levels of maternal care. One is basic care. Four is high intensity, very skilled, usually multidisciplinary, including neonatology, gynecology, oncology, uh, general surgery, urology, neonatology, and specialized uh, blood bank care. That's level four. Now, here's a quick clinical pearl. All placenta accreta spectrum centers of excellence are level four, but not all level four or placenta accreta spectrum centers of excellence. Make sense? Now, all level fours, by definition, have the capacity or should have the capacity to deal with placenta accreta spectrum, but calling themselves an accreta center means that they're specifically marketed and marketing themselves as a referral site, and that's something different, okay? So all placenta accreta spectrum centers are level fours, 
but not all level 4s are necessarily marketed as placenta creta spectrum senders, although all should be able to take care of the condition should they present themselves. I do have to clarify something very important here. It's not just the level four centers that can care for these patients. I mean, ACOG and SMFM make it very clear. These patients can be very well cared for and served at a level three or preferably a level four facility. But I don't want to make that assumption that you they have to go absolutely only to a level four facility. That's not true. ACOG states that the level of care from level three or above, which there's only one above, it's number four as the highest level of care designation that ACOG and states recognize right now, uh, that that is the highest level of care for this condition. So in general, placenta accreta spectrum centers are in general category four levels of care or, or, or level four levels of maternal care, although level three centers are absolutely capable of taking care of these patients. Now, even if you are working on a level one or a level two facility, you don't have to be a level three or level four. I mean, there's a basic responsibility. There's an ethical obligation. There's, there's a medical duty to treat from nursing staff and medical staff and the blood bank to be aware of this because patients drop in. They don't know what level care you are. They see you as a hospital. You take care of pregnant women and they will drop in. That's why it's so important to do these interprofessional drills. And these drills ideally should be in person in a labor and delivery OR and should include nursing staff, the OR techs, blood bank, the surgeons, neonatology, and everyone should be on the same page. And that includes, yes, even anesthesia. We all have to be one team. That's why, remember, that in that ACOG obstetrical care consensus, it says that management should be with a multidisciplinary care team. Now, I do need to give a little shout out to Lori Abdallah and our nursing staff in our hospital because they are fantastic. I mean, they are all over Quapi. <laughs> They're all over the maternal levels of care, and they do a great job in getting us trained and us, keeping us uh, up to date with interprofessional sims. Just today, we did our interprofessional sim and labor and delivery tackling this issue, which kind of gave me the idea to do this as a podcast because we, we covered so much and it's so high impact that I thought, man, I, I can't wait. I've got to get this out. So Lori, great job. A little shout out to you. It was a great simulation because preparing for this condition is our best defense against this enemy. As we get ready to wrap this up, here's what to do with an unanticipated placenta accreta spectrum that you find intraoperative. Now, this is different than how I trained, but this is now a legitimate option. So let's lay out the scenario here as we get ready to wrap this up. Let's say you're at a level one or a level two facility and you don't have on-call gynecology, oncology. Your urologist is nowhere to be found uh, and your trauma surgeon is on vacation. Yes, this is a real world thing. This happens. You open up a patient and you find a bluish tinge in the lower uterine segment with a ballooning out area with abnormal tortuous vessels. If you see that, the way that I trained was, well, hey, you opened her, you got to keep going. I mean, it was a point of no return if you were in the abdomen. And that, of course, led to the undiagnosed placenta accreta, massive hemorrhage, uh, and terrible patient outcomes. But now we have a very legitimate, ACOG recognizes this, that you do have an out here. So if the patient has risk factors, in other words, multiple C-sections, she uh, was a drop-in, so she had no formal ultrasound, and you did a bedside assessment and you saw a previa, but you weren't sure if it was invasive or not. 
but you find evidence of that grossly on visual inspection inside the abdomen, ACOG says if you do not have backup there and the patient is stable, it is perfectly okay to stop and close her and then get her immediately to a higher level of care. That is okay. Now, that is, of course, if she is stable. If there's fetal concern or the patient is not stable, mainly because of bleeding, then you have to proceed. In these cases, be sure to make the hysterotomy away from the site of possible invasion. So go in a classical approach or even transfundal. Yes, there's a high rate of cesarean hysterectomy in these cases. So as you're going back to the OR, if there's a potential for placenta accreta spectrum, be sure to contact urology, general surgery, a second surgeon, and blood bank in preparation for the unexpected. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered PAS, placenta accreta spectrum. How we win against this thing is with education, preparing ourselves for the worst, training, and above all, awareness that this is out there. Yep, 1 in 272. It's a big difference from the 1 in 2000 published decades ago. And it may be getting worse, unfortunately, in the years to come. So let's educate ourselves, train ourselves, and know who our closest placenta accreta spectrum centers of excellence are and have good communications with them so that we can appropriately get patients there in a timely manner for patient safety and quality care. As always, we're thankful for you, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. 